Hi folks, it's Rabbi Sharon Brous here. You are listening to Ikar's podcast where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our guest speakers, our teachers, anything we think worth listening to that we can capture, you can hear right here. Thank you so much for being with us. I had a, I had a friend say to me recently, um, you speak so passionately about the most obscure things. <laughs> didn't, it, didn't sound exactly like a compliment. It's sort of like, you, you seem very, very interested in very uninteresting things. Um, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of true. I'll, I'll give you just a list of some of my recent, recent class uh, topics, fascinating topics, including olives, um, the difference between oil and wax, the sciatic nerve, city wall structures, um, why the prayer that we refer to as having 18 blessings actually has 19 blessings, a, a whole lot on the relationship between Hebrew and Aramaic, and, and a long discussion on whether a couple of dots in the Torah are scribal notes or just accidentally spilled drops of ink. Now, I, I am interested in all of these things, but I... I can see why my friend might not be. Um, you know, because really my friend is making a, a larger point about, about Jewish study in general, which is that there's so much of it that seems so arcane. Why is Judaism buried in so many details? Right? The laws of the Torah themselves, you know, include the commingling of wool and linen, intricate temple rituals. How did the priest kill the 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 pigeon that was offered as a sacrifice for the poor family. How, what happens when my ox gores your cow? Right? And then once, once that's just the Torah, once we get into the, the hair-splitting pilpul of the Talmud, then it's like all the different ways that you can transport an object on Shabbat, or all the different kinds of guarding an object for your friend, or all of the different kinds of objects that can contract ritual impurity. It's like, you know, why? 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 Why do we keep studying this stuff? Instead of just focusing on what's relevant to us, or, or at least what's inspiring to us. Why, 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 why all the details? So let me, let me try to explain today a little bit um, my, love, my love of the details um, by telling you a story uh, and it's a story, it's a retelling of, a, of, a, of an old rabbinic story. It's a story that imagines Jacob and Joseph also sitting around and studying arcane details. So this week, uh, this is, this is par Parshat Vayigash, and it's a very dramatic Torah reading. Um, because 22 years earlier, Jacob sent his son Joseph off to, to check on his brothers, and then, and then hasn't seen him since because his brothers seized him and sold him into slavery. And Joseph ended up a slave in Egypt and then, and then in an Egyptian prison, but then remarkably rises to power in Egypt, becomes second command of all of Egypt. And when his brothers come and, and see him there, they at first don't recognize him. So Joseph starts messing with them in all kinds of machinations and manipulations until finally, as Rabbi Brown said earlier, finally, there's some some great moment of, of confrontation, and, and Joseph breaks down and says who he is. I'm Joseph. And the second thing he says 
is, is my father still alive? He wants to see his father. He hasn't stopped thinking about his father all these years. And surely Jacob hasn't stopped thinking about Joseph all these years, but the, but the Joseph that Jacob is thinking about is a Joseph he presumes to be dead. So when the brothers come back and report that not only is Joseph alive, but he is the ruler over all of Egypt, and if you have a, a red chumash here, this is on page 279, we read that his heart went numb. Jacob's heart went by a fugly bow. His heart went numb, for he did not believe them. His heart went numb. The, the Ramban says that his breathing stopped, that he was like a dead person. His heart stopped. And then suddenly, something happens that starts his heart again. This is Genesis chapter 45, uh, verse 27. And they recounted all that Joseph had said to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, then the spirit of their father Jacob revived. When he, they told everything to him and they saw the wagon. So what was it that suddenly convinced Jacob that they were telling the truth that Joseph really was alive? So there's an incredible story that appears in the commentary of Rashi. Rashi says, Masar lahem siman. Joseph gave them a sign. He gave them a sign that alluded to the topic that he and Jacob were studying just before he left. The section of the Torah dealing with Egla Arufa, the calf with the broken neck. And that is why when it says that Jacob saw the wagons, Vayarata Agalot, that Joseph had sent, that Joseph had sent, and not Pharaoh. Okay, <laughs> so it's a little complicated. There's a lot to unpack here, so le let me explain. It, it was not anything that they said that finally convinced Jacob that they were telling the truth. It was the seeing of the wagons. And it wasn't because that was proof that Joseph really was royalty now and could, could command wagons to be sent. No, it's the word for wagon, agala which sounds and, and looks just like the word for calf, egla, egla. And so Joseph was sending a coded reference to the section of the Torah that was the last thing that they sat and studied together, a section of the Torah that speaks about the ritual of the egla arufa, the calf with the broken neck. And that is something that only Jacob would know. Now, this is sort of a bizarre suggestion. The idea that they were, they were sitting and studying Torah together, this is before the Torah was given, right? The, the, the section actually that we're referring to is in Deuteronomy, and they're living in the book of Genesis. So even in the sequence of the Torah, they can't, can't possibly. But this is a, a recurring image, an idea that the rabbis have, that these, these holy ancestors of ours, they, they had to have had some contact with the Torah. They, surely they had some version of the Torah that they studied together. But what were they studying? The case of the Eglarufa, the case of the, the calf with the broken neck. So what is that case? Well, it's, a, 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 it's a, a, a situation. A person turns up dead in the middle of nowhere, out in the fields, and they measure the distance to the closest town, and the elders from that town come and they perform a ritual. They break the calf's neck and they wash their hands, and then, and here I have uh, 
you can, if you want to see this, you can turn to page 1106. And you can see even the word there in, in, in verse 4, ha'egla, is the same as the word for, for wagons. But then in, in verse 7 there, when they wash their hands, they, they make this declaration. Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it done. Absolve, O, you, o Lord, your people Israel, whom you redeemed, and do not let the guilt for the blood of the innocent remain among your people Israel, and they will be absolved of blood guilt. Okay, that's how the elders in the closest town absolve themselves of the guilt for the death of this anonymous person in the field. But what guilt? How do they have any guilt? They, nobody, surely we do not assume that these elders murdered this person. So you may remember Rabbi Brous spoke very powerfully about this on Yom Kippur, a sermon called Living in the Plural, which is excellent. I really recommend it to you. And she spoke about this case as a, as a template for the idea of collective responsibility, that we are all responsible for one another. And, the, and our, our rabbis go in very much the same direction with this case. They imagine, no, these elders didn't murder this person, but perhaps they, they didn't feed them. Perhaps they didn't ask them how they were doing, and, and critically, perhaps they didn't send them off safely. Now, though, now the parallel between this case and the story of Jacob and Joseph becomes clear. Joseph, who Jacob last saw wandering out there in the field, alone, left in the field, just like the anonymous body in this case. Jacob, who was the last elder to see him alive, who sent him off into danger. And surely on some level, Jacob must have felt responsible all these years. Where did he send Joseph? Where did Joseph go? Why did he send him off that day? And so Joseph is not just saying to his father, yes, remember, it's me. We studied this section of the Torah together. Joseph is saying, if you were worried about what you had done, if you felt guilt all these years, you are absolved. Your hands are clean. It's a, bril it's a brilliant connection the rabbis are making. There's a lot here, but my point is just how Joseph communicates. Joseph and Jacob have a shared language of symbols that they derived from their learning. And then the symbols become embedded with meaning, so much so that then it's not just the symbols, but related words to the symbols that can evoke that meaning for Joseph and Jacob. And that's what we get from studying Torah. A, a kind of symbolic mapping, a way of putting marker points, mapping meaning onto our existence. In the academic world, they would call this semiotics, right? the study of signs and symbols. But this isn't just the study of signs and symbols, but the creation of signs and symbols, marker points in our existence. And everybody does this. Maybe you have symbols. Class, what are the symbols in your family? In, in my family, the persimmon is loaded with meaning because uh, my mom and my stepfather have a persimmon tree in the back, and my mom kind of eats them by the, by the buckets full. When, when they're in season, no, and only the hard ones, not the soft ones, and nobody else in the family likes persimmons. So pers persimmons are, are kind of a symbol for my mom's idi idiosyncratic joys, the way she knows exactly what she wants, and none of us quite understand her, but we all love her so dearly for all of her quirks. 
Right? My, mom, my mom, who signs off all of her texts um, with a, a, the, a bee emoji because her name is Beatrice. Right? So, so the bee is a symbol in our family. And in fact, my stepfather is an entomologist, so all bugs are like symbols in, in our family of, the, of the, our friends in the natural world, our, our little friends in the natural world. We have a, affection for bugs in our family. Right? And, and I'm sure you have symbols in your family. What are the signs in your family? Maybe, maybe it's a hibiscus flower. Or maybe it's a Joshua tree. Right? What, what are the things that you would put on your family crest? But if you're in the Jewish family, then olives are a symbol. Olives are not just olives. Olives are a symbol for the way that our people have been plucked and pressed and beaten, but have produced the purest, most beautiful oil that gives light in the darkest days. A sciatic nerve is not just a sciatic nerve. It's a reminder of a nighttime battle with an angel, a deep spiritual struggle with the self. And we cannot hear the sound of a ram's horn without standing again at Mount Sinai. And we cannot taste horseradish without being reminded of the tremendous suffering that our people have gone through. That's a big part of what we're doing when we study the Torah together. We are creating a symbolic mapping system that allows us to move through the world attributing meaning to everything around us. But we do it together. And when we do it together, we learn how to communicate with each other in the deepest way. To be able to communicate meaning, deep meaning to one another with just a word or an image, the smell of a spice, the glow of a candle, the sound of a shofar, the taste of a bitter herb. When we study the Torah with all of its details, all of its intricacies, then the world begins to, to be charged with meaning, to speak to us, and we speak to one another. When we study the Torah with all of its arcane details, we learn how to communicate to one another, sometimes without even speaking the most profound truths. So, uh, so I invite you to study with me, to study the Torah with me in all of its intricacy, and together we'll learn to speak a language of truth. Shabbat Shalom. Hey everybody, Randy Sklar here. I'm an eCar member. And Jason Sklar here. I'm an eCar fan. Yeah, and we uh, love eCar so much. We love the message that eCar uh, delivers in their many podcasts. And we feel like most people feel there aren't a lot of podcasts in this world. I think there are only two or three. There's only a couple. So what we'd like you to do is donate to eCar at ecar-la.org uh, so that they can do more podcasts and more cool things because Lord knows the world needs more podcasts. Yep.